Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Dustin Ragusa. Man, what a weekend for Oklahoma State football, knocking off Notre Dame. Some are calling it the biggest win in Oklahoma State history. We may dive into all that. Dustin, how was your New Year's, man? How are you doing? How's everything in your world? Yeah, it was good. Uh, everything's going great for me. Just pumped about that win. And yeah, ready to talk some football. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm pumped too. I've been uh I've been watching way too much of that that Notre Dame Oklahoma State game just last <laughs> week. I mean, the replay was somehow like better than I even remembered it live. I mean, like yeah, just that a, a 21 point comeback to to knock off Notre Dame. Like it was kind of surreal sitting there after the end of the game. It's just like, how did that just happen? Yeah, and this I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I watch the offense and then the defense normally, or I'll do it vice versa, but I watch all the offensive plays and all the defensive. And I've talked about multiple times this year, how watching the offense sometimes is kind of tough, but this game, it was actually pretty fun. Cause even though those first like 10 plays where we went only 11 yards or whatever that was, it didn't feel like it in the flow of me watching it. And so then it kind of started picking up and the defense, obviously, you know, they got beat a few times, but, really stepped it up later. So it was a fun watch after watching Baylor in the big 12 championship, which may have been the worst game to rewatch. Uh, this one might have been one of the most fun this season. So I dude, uh, like behind Iowa state in 2011, that bet that Baylor big 12 title game. I, I watched the uh, OSU max stream of that. I don't know if you've subscribed to it yet. Yeah. It's fantastic. I watched their episode of the follow just this afternoon. And uh, dude, I mean, I, that is, that one's going to live up there with Iowa State in 2011. But regardless, this so game oh, is so, so bad, dude. I'd rather so, read a book. Yeah. Like and, a I never, and I never do that. Um, <laughs> but, dude, I mean, the, the Notre Dame win was as, like, it could have been by more. Like, they could have won by 10 or 13. Oh, yeah, two, two red zone turnovers, one of them on the goal line. It's just like I wanted to talk with you about these things because it's like we we really only text during the game, text before the podcast, and then we get on and now we're talking about it. It's just that game was like for as out of control as it was in the first and, you know, first and a half quarter, the entire rest of the game felt completely in Oklahoma State's control. And I think you can credit a lot of that to the defense. I think you can credit a lot of that to Spencer Sanders' performance. And I don't know how much further you even have to go. Jalen Warren, throw him in there. Um, but we're going to break all of that down. But, you know, Dustin, I just um, – man, it was just a fun, fun game. And, um, you know, we decided not to fly across the country and go. But as that game was ending, I was like, man, I really wish I was standing in Phoenix right about now. Yeah, that that would have been such a fun one, especially like I, like I talked about on last week's podcast, just – kind of with Notre Dame, just my grandpa going there and everything. My grandma was texting me after the game, said, you got, you guys won that one. So that was pretty funny, but wow. it just, just an all around great game. So it was fun to watch, but yeah, a lot, a lot to dive into on both sides <laughs> of the ball. This could be a long one. Every, every week, you guys don't know this every week, Dustin and I sit here and right before the podcast, we say, what do you think about 45 minutes, an hour, every single one ends up at like a, an hour and 40. <laughs> 
And so if you wonder what Dustin and I are like at the bar together, I mean, I think you get a pretty good glimpse of it when we <laughs> plan for an hour and get an hour and 40. So, um, you know, well, let's, I mean, let's just do it. One, one caveat, your boy, your boys got the Omicron. So if I sound congested in the mic, uh, forgive me. I, I hope I don't. I've been drinking a little rye whiskey this evening, but feeling yeah. good. Hey, just, 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 just don't die. To, yeah, don't well, die. No, I'm trying, I'm trying not to. It's going to take got... me so long to get another co-host if you die. Yeah. If my, Please if my don't. replacement gets us over a thousand followers on Twitter, that would <laughs> dude. Oh man. Anyway, jokes aside, everybody's good in my, in my world. But, uh, if I sound congested, that's why let's move into it, Dustin. I mean, let's start with the offense too. I mean, Oklahoma State, you know, for the first quarter and a half, as I've already said, um, not a great showing at all. Showed some flashes, right? Like able to move the ball in 30, 40 yard spurts and drives would stall out. So showed some good things early on, but you know, late in the game, I mean, just absolutely took over. So, I mean, from a from a high level, what's your what's your thought on how the offense looked on Saturday against Notre Dame? Yeah, like you said, the first quarter was a little slow. So 95 total yards in the first quarter. Then in the second, they had 137. Then in the third, 200. And then in the fourth, they had 173. So in the grand scheme of things, it was a poor quarter compared to the other ones. They started off rough. I talked about it. I think the first 10 plays only went 11 yards, had some three and outs. But once things kind of got rolling, so what Oklahoma State did, they came out. So when you look at the – I put up – I put my tweets out before the podcast this week, just since we're recording a little bit later, we did that so we could catch the basketball game, which we'll talk about later, but 52% of the plays out of 11 personnel. So that's one Cowboy back three receivers, 44% out of 10 personnel, which is four receivers, no Cowboy backs. Then they had 3% out of 12 and they actually will get into this, but Cade's play that he really wanted to run with the running backs pushing on fourth down. I know he wants to talk about that later. That was actually out of 23 personnel, Cade, which I don't think we've seen this year. So that's two running backs, three tight ends, Hunter Anthony wearing a uh, number 33 as the third cowboy back there. Can I, tight end, so. can I just, just real quick, I, I threw my hands up as you said it, because <laughs> I, I about dropped to the floor in, in my dad's living room when that happened. It's like, where was that in Dallas? <laughs> it was the exact play I said. Like, that is exactly what they should have done. And it worked. So, but well, whatever. Not just that part of it, which that was hilarious that you called that. When I watched it, I just started instantly laughing. I was clipping the videos on Twitter and I was laughing. I don't even think I got that one clipped. But uh the OSU offensive line blew back the Notre Dame offensive oh, line. Yeah. I know, I know he didn't like gain eight yards, but he well, he well got the first down. And Heinish, their nose guard, Adam Miola, their tackle, they got blown off the ball. And they did they did a few times in the game, but this was one where they just got stood straight up. And those guys, we talked about it. Adam Miola's probably an NFL, future NFL guy. And Heinish, if he's not, he's a really, really talented player. So that was that was fun to watch, but really, you know, Oklahoma State, what they did in this game, we haven't seen it. Marcus Freeman talked about it after the game. He said their 10 personnel was just – he said they, they did a good job of getting in some 10 personnel, which they hadn't really shown much all year, and it was good. What he means by that – so Oklahoma State was in 10 personnel 87% of the time in the Baylor game. 
that's four receivers. They were going with a lot of Blaine Green with the Cowboy backs out. We've seen them use that 10 personnel really heavy with the Cowboy back injuries later in the year. So it's not inter- – and what Freeman is saying is it's not the 10 personnel. It's the type of 10 personnel they were using. So instead of Blaine Green, he's out for this game, they are substituting another slot receiver in there. So John Paul Richardson started the game in the slot, and when they were going 10 – the fourth receiver is now Brennan Presley. So you're taking out a cowboy back. You're taking out a Blaine Green, who's a very talented receiver and cowboy back in his own right, and putting in one of the most dynamic, if not the most dynamic players on your team in the other slot. So it's not the 10 personnel. It's the type of formation and gr- actual personnel they're putting in there in that personnel grouping. That, that's kind of what Marcus Freeman is getting at, and he's right. Oklahoma State didn't really go four true receivers since really Braden Johnson was out for the year early on in the season for dynamic guys like that. So a, a Brennan Presley and a Braden Johnson, a Brennan Presley and a John Paul Richardson. So it was really cool to watch. And you could tell it was something Oklahoma State planned for in their bowl practices leading up to this. And when they went tempo out of that 10 personnel, Notre Dame was in an absolute shock. They were they were in their base D still. So instead of a nickel corner out there, they still have their linebacker, number 24, Jack Kaiser. And you see what happens. He, Brennan Presley beats him on a, on a deep well, post over the middle, just runs right by him. Spencer drops it in beautifully. It took until probably, I think, yeah, into the second half before Notre Dame really started using a nickel. And by that point, they just – weren't able to stop the tempo it's such a perfect call out there i literally was looking at that play and had it circled where i mean there were several times where oklahoma state when they went tempo they were getting a linebacker on brennan presley which is just like it's just such a no-no notre dame was not expecting the double slot 10 personnel they just weren't expecting i mean freeman said it after the game they weren't expecting that at all oklahoma state barely showed it at all this season well, and, and I say barely, but they go to it, Cade, in games. It's not like they never do this. It, I'm it's just not, saying, not, not what it looked like in this game, though. I had to run that past you. Like, I'm because I kind of noticed that as well. I was like, it looked, it looked different. Like, it looked more spread out, even though it's the same personnel grouping on the field, just lined up differently. It, it makes perfect sense as to why they had trouble with it. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, cut they, you off. Just no, no, I like no. Your that point. Was, that's a perfect point. That's a perfect point. Forty-four percent of the time they were in that ten personnel, and all forty-four was the double slot. It was the wow. Brennan Presley, John Paul Richardson. So that's definitely the most they've gone with that true four wide receiver set. And I, I kind of alluded to that in my in my Twitter breakdown earlier. So that was just great to see. And then, Kate, why don't we just get into him first? Because yeah. we're going to spend so long on it. So. Spencer what, Sanders, what do you what do you think about his just overall performance? Well, I said I can't remember which game this was after, but I, I told you on the show that we need to rename this to the feels like Spencer Sanders going to be an important factor podcast because holy cow. I mean, what, there's what, your game. What did I set the what did I set the rushing yard line at? 60? 60. I said 60, 60 non sack rushing yards. He doubled that. <laughs> he doubled it. So I said if he gets over 60, we win. He doubled it. We should have. Like you said, we could have won by more. They yeah, almost you know blew the doors off late. I mean, the they they almost did turnovers inside two inside the what fifteen. We'll do that to you, but but to Spencer, I mean, bravo, holy cow! Uh, can we say best game in his career? Period, right? We can say that. 
I would think. I, I think so. The only other game that really came to mind for me is Oregon State, but that's not even close to the same no. quality. Just because that one was really like the first time, so it felt it, yeah. it's memorable. And I know he's had other really good games. I'm just saying nothing that like felt that memorable. Time, I totally get but, it. But I don't think yeah, I don't think anything. So what? I mean, Spencer Sanders just the second player in FBS history with 350 passing yards and 100 rushing yards and four touchdown passes in a bowl game, joining Clemson's Taj Boyd in the 2014 orange bowl, which that's funny in its own right. I would not have expected that to be Taj Boyd. <laughs> His performance against Notre Dame marked just the second time in OSU history that a player passed for more than 300 yards and must rush for more than hundred yards in a game. And he won and he got offensive MVP at the festival. And actually, if you take out the sack, he went over 500 yards. That outrageous. And his decision-making was, was timely. It was like, if his first, second, third reads, not there, like he was going through it so quickly, which number one, Brennan Presley is a volume receiver. Now, apparently 10 catches, 137 <laughs> yards. I mean, it was to the point where it's like, you could throw it to him 30 times this game. And Spencer is, he's looking that way every time. And if Spencer, if, if Presley's not there, Tay's there. Again, his decision-making was just so crisp. And our buddy Adam Lunt, a friend of the pod, put a video out on Twitter of, of this decision-making and some anticipation throws that he was making, one uh, in particular over the middle to John Paul Richardson, where he's not even out of his break, and the ball's leaving Spencer's hand, and it hits him in the, in the chest. I mean, Spencer was dialed in. And, you know, to me, it makes you wonder, you know, how much that alignment, how much maybe a Brendan Presley in the slot alongside a John Paul Richardson, who's had a great freshman season, like how that comfort in the slot, maybe where you have two guys running down the field as opposed to a cowboy back who could leak out in the flat, maybe not as vertical. So I don't know. I don't know, you know, what they've talked about in, in, in you know, some of their meetings, but uh, it's just interesting to see how the light bulb just came on and his running was more effective just all around an unbelievable performance. I, I was stunned, stunned. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Every, everything you said is just completely hundred percent accurate. And going back to what you said about the 10 catches for Presley entering that game, there were only three instances of an OSU player catching 10 passes or more in a bowl game and Tay and Brennan both did it. against Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. I mean, Brennan lit up Miami last year. So, so let's go. So let's go through, we've done it on every pod. Let's go through. So 17 incompletions and I can really just break it down to one point. I had four drops. So I had one for Bray, one for Brennan, and then two for Tay. I know some of Sanders passes could have been drops. There were some great catches made, but I'm counting it as a drop. If it gets in the, vicinity of a division one power five college football receiver it's it's a drop if they can get their hands on it and they're not full out diving right right so four drops he had two throwaways three throwaways sorry and then Jalen Warren slipping on a halfback screen which if he catches that it probably goes for a lot of yards yeah for sure that's seven of his 17 and there's a couple more I think I think there was one more that Bray probably could have caught I didn't count it as a drop and then there's the Bray catch that didn't get reviewed on the sideline where he got oh I forgot down. all about that forgot all about so I, that so I think that's eight of them so only nine misfires 
out of 51 attempts and zero, according to PFF and me rewatching the game. I mean, obviously <laughs> PFF is much more talented than me. Pay attention to them more than me, but zero turnover worthy plays. Well, his I mean, misfires I- were all, they were so bad. They were, some of them were so bad. Nobody could catch it, which is yeah. honestly a good thing. Yeah. Right. And we won't <laughs> harp on those because nobody caught them. I mean, circle yes. the zero interceptions in the box score. And I mean, there's your, there's your storyline. He was unbelievable. and didn't turn the ball over. And Nine I had inaccurate passes out of 51. It's I think is the fun. complete opposite of what I expected out of him. Yeah. And it's not even a knock on him. I, I was crediting, one, what Notre Dame has done all year against good offenses. Granted, they've played a you know patty cake schedule, especially late. So probably should have factored that in a little bit more. But they have a great defense. There, there's no doubt about that. What Spencer did to them, he made he made them look like Texas Tech, you know, 2013. Like that's that's what Notre Dame looked like running around out there. And they got NFL dudes running all over the field. And you know, I I can a hundred percent live with with you know errant throws that are overthrown out to the flat that don't don't hit anybody like that's fine you'll you'll live with that especially if he's going to give you you know over 500 all-purpose yards you will absolutely live with that yeah and what Notre Dame was doing on defense they were showing a lot of single high which is much different than what Baylor was doing in the big 12 championship they were doing a lot of two deep safeties a lot of two man under and some underneath zone under that and they were running some split field coverages which means they'll be which is something you see we talked about during the TCU game. That's a Gary Patterson. He's always kind of done that. So one side of the field is running one coverage. They may be in cover two, the other side's running cover four man and zone switching it up there. And it just left a lot of space. Lunt and I were talking about this, just left a lot of space for Spencer. And he was able to just slice and dice them up with that tempo. And like we said, Notre Dame wasn't in their base D they were still getting cooked because they just really weren't expecting it and they just weren't able to get set. Gundy talked about it before the game. His biggest concern was the length and athleticism on Notre Dame's offensive and defensive line. Well, when you go tempo, you're getting those big guys tired on the defensive line. They're not able to get set, get their rush going, slant, kind of move around before the snap like we've seen Notre Dame do. I put some clips out last week about that and it really just caught them off guard and it was, it was awesome to watch. And, Cade, my next big point I wanted to make, because it was something you and I talked about, and I didn't know it was going to be this blatantly obvious that they were going to take this much advantage of it. My guy, Clarence Lewis. Boy. Cornerback for Notre Dame. <laughs> Let me pull it up real quick, Clay, Cade, on PFF. <laughs> he was targeted 13 times. Now, take this with a grain of salt, because some of this is in zone. So you've got to – and PFF is going to count it if he's the man in that zone, but it may not be completely his fault. But there was a lot of man – so what I'm saying by take that with a grain of salt is some of those coverages from Lewis are in zone. So it's, he's the closest man in that zone. So you can't, a lot of it was man though. So you can't just kind of go off it completely, but it still gives you a good picture of what happened in this game. 13 targets on Lewis, 12 receptions against him for 141 yards and two touchdowns. Oh Eight of those on nine targets were to Tay Martin he couldn't handle him. So Lewis plays the boundary corner, but because OSU was going with tempo, he was getting put in the field position in at the field position sometimes too, which honestly that should be a little bit easier for him. He's a real long rangey athletic guy, but it didn't matter. And then they tried to put Bracey in there for him. Bracey was playing the nickel. They actually put him in as the boundary corner. 
and Tay caught a ball on him and Brendan Presley caught a ball on him. So they couldn't really do anything in that boundary corner spot. Cam Hart, they only targeted him five times. He only let one reception up. And even with Cam Hart, we talked about it. He, he, there was a possibility he wasn't going to play. He's banged up. He ends up playing almost every snap. And Oklahoma State still went after Lewis. Yeah. They obviously saw what you and I saw. <laughs> obviously, they're way smarter than us. They're college football coaches and players. But they targeted this guy, and I felt bad for him because on the film I watched, he was not this bad. I think he's not great, and he got just exposed and had a really bad game, and all three of those things just combined made it look like he was maybe one of the worst cornerbacks they faced this year. Well, it's funny, too. You look at the box score. I had written this down because I knew we were going to talk about him. He was their leading tackler, which he not good, not not an ideal scenario. Uh, that means a lot of balls are getting caught around, you, my friend, <laughs> not where you want to be. I, I loved their game plan. They attacked the perimeter and they threw the ball over the middle of the field. Once they got those safeties split way out, going the other way and they were able to attack the middle. It was just a beautiful game plan uh from the oklahoma state offense loved everything they did yeah and in the rushing attack they actually did a couple of things there that i really liked as well not to just completely completely change the subject to that but they threw in some quarterback power i think that was the first run of the game was quarterback power so the backside guard pulls the play side of the line outside of that tight end that was uh on the play side they'll down block that tight end kicked out and then Josh Stills, the left guard, led around through the hole. Then later in the game, when L.D. Brown is in, they do power read, which is the same play, but this time the running back, instead of helping block for the quarterback, he's running kind of a jet sweep track, and Spencer will either give it to him. He's reading the edge defender on the, on the defensive line, so that defensive end. And if he runs out, Spencer keeps and runs power. If he stays put – Spencer hands it off, and he did on that jet sweep. I think it only gained a few yards, but I don't think they've run that at all this season. They've run power, but I don't think they've run that QB power read. And then they went to the QB power again later. We saw that draw RPO that we've seen with Sanders where he kind of reads either the middle linebacker or he's reading that out and go pattern. If that's covered, he'll take off on, on the quarterback draw. They did a QB, they did a QB sneak. They did some sweeps of the swing pass to John Paul Richardson, which counts as a rush because it was backwards. And then a lot of inside and outside zone in this game and some wide zone mixed in there too. So it was, it was, it was primarily still zone 25 carries were zone, but a lot of just mixing it up. And when you've got Jalen Warren back to run that zone running game, there were a couple runs where he's just waiting for the hole and boom hits it. First guy hits him. He bounces off spin move juke gets you know 12 15 16 yards and then ld brown looked like ld brown that i know and love right that returns kicks that guy's start stop speed his acceleration is incredible yeah incredible to watch it really is and you know warren i mean he is it i think it may have taken the baylor game to appreciate him as much as we can in the notre dame game because just uh, the offense was totally different the offensive on the running side specifically, like totally different. And I know they're trying to do the same thing, a zone running scheme, but what he's able to do, hit that cutback lane, as you said, he's never going down on the first tackle. It's just the offense looks completely different. Spencer looks like a completely different quarterback with him out there. 
you've already mentioned this several times over the season, over the course of the season, how good of a blocking running back Jalen Warren is in pass protection. So he's picking up blitzes. He was doing it all game. I mean, Notre Dame, Mike Gundy said it in his, in his pregame show that Oklahoma state does not see a lot of um, five and six man blitzing in the big 12. Dave Hunziker asked, is there anybody in the big 12 like that? He flat out said, not really. No, everybody's bringing really four and five Notre Dame brings five and six. So having Warren blocking that is crucial. And I mean, Spencer, you know, I I think what was he sacked one time? Yeah. And 20 PFF has 21 blitzes or or on 21 of his attempts. He was blitz Spencer Sanders. I actually had it at 22. I think I counted one extra might've been a delayed blitz. So the 21 is probably correct, but that's a lot of blitzing. That's 21 of his 51 dropbacks he was blitzed on. And great point. I mean, I thought Warren did a great job in pass protection. Really, the interior of the Oklahoma State offensive line pass protected pretty well. But again, kind of got to look at that. When you're throwing tempo and you're throwing these really quick passes, Sanders, in, it's going to make right. offensive right. Line's protection look a little bit better. But early on, they were struggling. Isaiah Foskey, he was as advertised. Oh, yeah. He oh, had yeah. a great game. He forced that fumble. Our tackles, Birmingham and Wilson, could not handle him off the edge. And he's, you know, they've had a lot of trouble with speed. And Foskey obviously has the speed, but he also has the power. And he was just a nightmare for any tackles. But our guys have struggled this year in pass pro, and he he kind of wore them out. But luckily, like you said, only one sack because we've talked about it. You've mentioned it. I've mentioned it. Sanders, now that he's got to mesh with this same offensive line, you know, it took a few games for the Oklahoma State coaching staff and Charlie Dickey to nail down this offensive line. But now he knows their tendencies. He knows where the weak spots are. You saw him, Lunt put it in one of his videos, just a subtle move to the right gives himself a throwing window. If he doesn't take that little baby step, he's not able to throw the ball. He probably gets sacked. He was doing that all game. And he can kind of make up for some of that, the lack of, you know, just strength and pass protection from those tackles. But I thought the interior of the offensive line did pretty well outside of Foskey. Adam Ayola played pretty well, but you didn't, we didn't have to hear Myron not going to say his lot tongue. I'm not even try, but we didn't hear Myron. <laughs> we didn't hear Highness who I just said, he got blown backwards a few times. And I thought those guys actually blocked pretty well in the run game. Again, it wasn't an all-world performance from the offensive line, but my guy Sills, you know, he's lugging around his whole body. He's been banged up recently. They're using him as that lead puller on power, and he's blasting people. So I thought they played where I actually thought – I thought Mahoski played pretty well until he went down. We had Tyrese Williams come in, I think, for like seven snaps. Sills goes down, literally comes like right back in. Dude's a psycho which I love in an offensive lineman. I like psychopaths on my offensive line and at defensive coordinator. We talked about that on the other podcast, but yeah, I thought it was a pretty outstanding overall performance for the offense at once they got things going. No, I, I think so too. And, you know, look at looking down, you know, some of these highlights, I mean, Tay Martin was fantastic outside the drops, just red zone nightmare for teams. I mean, that that little tunnel screen or, or whatever you would call that, that pick play that they ran in the red zone where Richardson blocks right at the line of scrimmage. I mean, they get so creative with him and I, they're going to miss him in those situations because he's very versatile down there. And I think so. John Paul Richardson, just as we're talking about receivers. He may have the best hands out of any of these guys. And 
him and Tay probably, obviously they're different positions. John Paul's inside and Tay's outside, but they're definitely the two best route runners on the team. I just hadn't seen enough of John Paul. And now that I have seen him in over several games, I mean, he started this game in the slot. He he's going to he be more starter than Presley. He's going to be starter day one next year. Yeah. I mean, he's, he may he's be fantastic. the best route runner on the team. Yeah. yeah. And he may he's, have the best hands on the team. He's fantastic. And he seems to have Spencer's confidence. Like Spencer yes. looks his way consistently. That well, anticipation right throw. Spot. Right. Like that anticipation throw that we talked about earlier in the show that's Spencer making that to a true freshman. How often does that happen uh, and end up well? I think it's just, there's a lot of trust there clearly. And John Paul has earned it because I mean, you look back at the tech game, you look back at the Baylor game, the OU game made some really nice plays. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes to him, but just to, I mean, I, I, I loved what I saw to the receiving core and really like the headliners of the receiving core. Finally, you know, with Tay and Brendan, I feel like those were the two guys all year that were there and they had their best game of the season, you know, arguably both at the same time. So, you know, what, what a game, I mean, truth, truthfully on the offense, anything else before we move on? I thought Carter and Cassidy, I thought they both blocked pretty well. Uh, nothing amazing, but those guys are great in the outside zone and even the inside zone running game. Uh, seven for nine in the red zone, and I believe it was only four touchdowns. You need more touchdowns in the red zone. Obviously, you have the two fumbles, but you got to get more touchdowns. Well, I bit them in, uh, it, I hate to keep bringing up the game that shall not be uh, named, but I mean, it bit them in the Big 12 title game you know, field goals in the red zone that bit them um, seemed to be a, a common theme this year too, where, you know, they couldn't necessarily go into that zone running game. And when you have to go downhill that, that might've given them some, some issues, but anyway, I, I loved their approach. Loved the, uh, you know, going to 10 personnel, the tempo. This was a great, great performance. Oh, it really was. And I, I think I forgot kid normally, you know, I hit those stats at the beginning. I missed a couple of big ones. I just wanted to throw at you. Because one, we just got super positive. I'm about to bring you back down a little bit. Oh, boy. Three of 14 on third down. That's 21%. But the one thing to remember. That's shocking. Notre Dame is an awesome third down defense. They're really good. They only gave up 32% on third down. So 21, a little bit better than they normally give up there. But still, and then the the other thing there is the reason why, because it was – an average distance of 8.6 yards to go on third down. So they did really well on first down though. And a great job of mixing up the run in the pass. They were 20 for 29 passing on first down and they were 6.2 yards per rush on first down. So they actually did really well on first down. It's just, they had a lot of long third downs early on when they were going on those three and outs. So 20 plays of 15 plus yards, just, <laughs> and then the last thing Outrageous. is, Tay did all this. And they were still shading a safety to his side most of the time. So great call out. I was, I noticed it as well. Should have said it because, you know, even on that deep pass that he did catch late in the game, there's a safety over there shaded to his side. It's a great throw, great route and not in the right position. So no. And Spencer last note, Cade, and then we can move on Spencer. So PFF does this kind of like little grid of a football field and it's outside left between the numbers outside, right. And basically they go zero to 10. I've talked about it on here, 10 to 20, 20 plus. And basically there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. So there's nine quadrants that I'm talking about here. It took me a while to do that finance major, but it took me a while to do that math. 
So he only didn't hit one of them outside deep left 20 plus yards. He only, that was the only spot he didn't complete. I think, I think that may be the only time he's done that all season. He hit eight of the others. Sheesh. He just dealt it all over the field. Yeah. He was slinging it. It was the Spencer Sanders we've been dreaming of and uh, got us to a win. Well, Dustin, before we move on to the defense, let's go ahead and take a break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel, is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, with over 100 schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. This is the perfect gift. Uh, Homefield Apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out. And use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And, of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping, as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Okay, moving on from the offense who, you know, dominating performance again in that second half to another dominating performance in the second half in the Oklahoma State defense. Uh, the the bell cow this entire season uh, was the Oklahoma State defense, really prevailed this team to the 12-2 and record that they had. Uh, a difficult, really tough start uh, in this game, getting down 28-7 to at one point in the first half. Dustin, I mean, you know, before – let's break this down in halves if you don't mind. I'd, I'd love to kind of talk about that first half briefly – and then move on to what everybody wants to talk about in that second half uh, that looked a lot more. But, you know, in that first half, what did you see from what Jack Cohn was doing, from what Notre Dame was doing, how they were attacking Oklahoma State? Maybe what the Cowboys were not doing is, is where we start. Yeah, so, Cade, I was a little bit confused, which I know you were because we texted about this a little bit. We talked about Oklahoma State's cornerbacks needing to get physical and aggressive with these receivers. It was something – I saw on film, again, no one should listen to me. That's my caution disclaimer every time I say something. But, but also listen it, and subscribe and five-star review. <laughs> it looked like when Notre Dame's receivers, when opposing corners were being physical with them, especially early in the season, they were struggling. Kevin Austin got a little bit better at it later in the season, but Lindsey, Styles, these guys struggled with that. And Oklahoma State started out the game with their cornerbacks playing seven to eight yards off the line of scrimmage pretty much every play. And it wasn't that they were only in zone. They were, they were mixing in some man too. They were just in that off coverage. And basically what it did is it gave Jack Cohn the ability and, and Tommy Reese, who had a great game plan for Notre Dame. He even tried to make, we'll get to the second half, but he tried to make some adjustments. They just didn't work. But his game plan was basically Cade, a mix of what Baylor did and what Iowa State did. Yep. So he, they're going quick access throws. And what I mean by that is the quick outs, quick hitches. I mean, Oklahoma State's playing off. If you spread them out, the linebacker's not able to get over there. You saw Oklahoma State with a lot of three and two high safeties early on, which we've seen them do a lot this season. Those guys can't get down there to those throws. And it's not right to say dinking and dunking because Notre Dame's offense was super efficient, but 
they were dinking and dunking down the field and then taking some deep shots and completely ignoring their running game and using these quick routes as their running game. I counted, I put it on Twitter. I counted six RPOs in the first half. There could have been more than, than that, but six actual RPOs. I wasn't, tr- I was trying not to count like the pre-snap leverage read. We talked about that Spencer Sanders and Casey Dunn like to do. Cone hit on five of them, I think for almost 10 yards per play. And then we'll get to it in the second half, but he only hit one, I think one in the second half of the two they ran. So it was just a great game plan. I'm not sure how Oklahoma State didn't know that was coming, though, after Baylor just torched them with it. And we saw Brock Purdy kill them with RPOs earlier in the season. But then you've got basically every touchdown pass to Notre Dame just popped on screen because yeah. you've got the first you've got the first one we talked about it Oklahoma State's obviously going to pay a ton of attention to Michael Mayer and so what's happening there is the safety and the linebacker are bracketing Mayer well Tanner McAllister's up in press coverage on the slot and he has to run with that guy I believe it was Styles, in insanely fast yeah all the way down the field and he gets beat over the top Lunt and I were talking about it Lump believes that the safety is actually supposed to take the vertical route first and then go to the slot. And then the nickel has outside. So if it's, mm. if it's an outside route, the nickel's by himself. So McAllister's by himself, but they ran that play twice. They almost hit on it later in the game and both times the safety took mayor. So I don't know if it, it's either one of two things. They were paying so much attention to mayor that it was busted coverage and the safety just got so infatuated with bracketing mayor in the slot or, McAllister's just playing super aggressive one-on-one coverage, but either way, that's not really something we've seen from Oklahoma state this year. They got beat on that. You've got the cover zero blitz where no one peels off with the running back beat you there. You've got the pick route down by the goal line. Mayor runs a great route. Jack Cone throws probably his best ball all day. Yeah. Right to Mayor in the slot. And then you get Notre Dame comes out in 13 personnel on a short yardage, third and two, you know, Oklahoma state, is everybody up to the line of scrimmage and you know they're in man because it's 13 personnel, it's short yardage, you think they're going to run it, third and two, Notre Dame can kick a field goal if they need to. They get the man coverage they want, and they got Mayer one-on-one, and I don't know many people that can guard him one-on-one. So they dominated the rushing attack, but it was just – it was just – I think they just – I think they got caught off guard, but I'm a little confused how. I guess <laughs> I, I love it. And I can tell that you're confused, like just your exasperated tone at the end of that. I love it. They, I, I don't understand it either. And I don't understand, you know, and I don't know what it takes to make an adjustment on the fly like that in the game. I've never coached at any level at any level at all. So I don't know what that type of in-game adjustment takes, but they were getting, I mean, just absolutely smoked underneath, you know, and, and Jack Cohen, you know, you did say, it's it's not fair to call it Dinkin and Duncan. It was, but that dude, I I thought he was pretty impressive. I very smart, I, smart, strong arm, like it's stronger than I had probably thought because he was really making. I mean, far hash to sideline throws in in that same scheme in that first half with ease and and a strike right on the numbers. And I mean, those are those are NFL throws. I don't know where what you know Cone's career looks like. But I thought he was impressive, but Oklahoma State absolutely played right into that. And I mean, yeah, I guess you're willing to take it if you can stifle the run game the way they did. But, you know, at some point it, it would have been nice to see them get up a little bit, which is exactly what they did in the second half. 
and it gave them a lot of issues as they took away some of that. So I don't know what took them, you know, two quarters to do that. The lack of Jim Knowles might be a storyline there. You got three guys yeah. in the booth calling plays. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what those conversations looked like. So um, again, my, well, my, my prevailing thought on that first half was wish that adjustment would have came a little bit earlier. And I think this game is a, you know, 17, 20 point Oklahoma state win. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and you made a perfect point there because I wanted to get to this quote from Gundy talking about the play calling on defense. He said, we struggled in the first quarter, to be honest with you, more than I thought we would have. We just had some, it wasn't miscommunication. I just didn't think we were on track. Now I will say this. I thought that Notre Dame had a really good 15 play starter list that they executed to perfection. So I'm not going to completely disregard their ability to game plan and call plays because they had a good concept, several good concept, concepts and caught us in some things that we can be caught in at times. So Gundy even admitted there was some confusion early on. And I think it helped later in the game. Once they got settled in, Notre Dame doesn't really go with Tim. They, they kind of mix it in. We talked about it. They're also a check with me team. They like to check to the sideline after the defense gets set, which gives our defensive play callers a little bit more time to get a play down there. So that was good. But yeah, the, the first half was, was kind of tough. It, it was going back to just kind of what Malcolm Rodriguez talked about in the Baylor game, guys just losing their eyes. Like we talked about with that cover zero blitz, but all the credit to Cone, all the credit to the Notre Dame receiving core. I mean, Styles, Mayer, Lindsey, even the running back Tyree got involved. Kevin Austin, all those guys had solid days. Diggs even got in the mix a little bit. So they all had solid days in the air. The Notre Dame offensive tackles, Alt and Fisher were impressive. They, they really were. Brock Martin and Colin Oliver. Well, Brock Martin talked about it after the game, but you could tell Colin Oliver. This was the first time I think they went against guys that big and that long. I'll get to it later. I have a quote from Brock Martin I want to hit on when we talk about the second half. But they, they got – Colin Oliver got swallowed up at times, and he just was not able to use his speed to get by these guys. And on the other side, Brock Martin, who's kind of a speed and strength guy – it just wasn't really working. And he talked about he's, how he's yeah. throwing a bunch of moves out there and they just weren't really working on Fisher. Those guys yeah. did well, but on the Notre Dame interior, they got torched. Kane Madden, their right guard, Jaden Jernigan, Xavier Ross, Brennan Evers, they made that dude look silly multiple times. <laughs> well, I, I was impressed with those Notre Dame tackles who both were freshmen. Am I correct in that? Yeah, and Blake Blake Fisher, five-star, and then Alt was the guy I talked about. He played some tight end in high school and then kind of switched to tackle late, and he Man. came in this year for some injuries. So I would say, like, After some the, the potentially toughest tackles that Oklahoma State went up against all year because we haven't seen anybody block Oklahoma State's edge rushers like that. Oklahoma did it kind of, I guess, but not really. I think Notre Dame far and away on that outside – of their offensive line did as good a job as they could have probably hoped, but it's still not enough against Jaden Jernigan, Brennan Evers, Israel Antoine. And I mean, Devin Harper, Malcolm Rodriguez in that middle of that defense were unblockable for them in the run game. And at times, you know, they did a good job in the past game, but he was getting the ball out so quick that it was like, it's, it's hard to be a factor anyway, but in that run game, man, that interior of the defense was unbelievable as good as they've been all year. No, I 100% agree. And then, Kate, I mean, do you want to switch to the second half? I do. I do. Get the hard part out of the way first. Yeah. (laughs) It was a completely, completely different game. 
everyone that got asked from the defense about it after the game, all the players basically said the same thing. They just came out and they were just more aggressive. And it wasn't just having the corners pressed up on the receivers, which they did a lot more of, but it's, it's being just more aggressive overall, dropping corners and some of the safeties into those underneath zones, having the corners not give as much leverage, even when they're in off coverage. And basically what they did too, is they went back to a lot of man coverage. We saw some in the first half, but they went heavy on it, which is kind of their bread and butter with Jim Knowles and this defense were known for, you know, in prior seasons, we've seen more zone this year, but they kind of went back to a lot of man. And with the defensive line, Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper playing how they were against the run. The Oklahoma State cornerbacks, Corey Black, Derek Bernard Converse, and Jabbar Muhammad just put on a show out there. And they just completely shut Notre Dame's quick access throws down. And like I said, I only saw two RPOs in the second half. They basically had to go because play action didn't matter. Oklahoma State wasn't going to fall for it. They were completely dominating them. So then you have to go to your straight drop back passing game. And what that did is it allowed Oklahoma State's pass rush to go wild. All six QB hurries coming in the second half, along with one of the two sacks. And you saw it. I talked about it. Jernigan, Martin, Oliver getting in the mix. Blitzing when they're blitzing with Harper and Rodriguez, which we actually saw a lot of. They were just able to get that pass rush going. My my number one point on the defense, as, and there were so many highlights, It just it's young corners. Corey Black, and you you said Jarek Bernard Converse, you know what you're getting out of him. He's a stud. I mean, Jabbar Muhammad and Corey Black were fantastic. And Jabbar Muhammad had that pass breakup in the end zone, kind of batted it away with the back of his hand. It was like, okay, these kids have grown up in the last six games because, you know, Corey Black, we've shouted him out for this, special teams all-star. He makes a lot of plays on special teams. But he's also a really physical corner and is in the right spot. Same thing as Jabbar Muhammad. So that's secondary. And namely, those young corners have, have clearly been coached extremely well. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this during the game, especially in that first half when they were going to more of that play action, how, you know, I think they scored on one. Actually, it was that play action pass to Mare in the end zone that you were kind of talking about earlier, how you can't see that coming. But then after that, they kept trying to go back to it and it's not working and it's not working. I think they had to hit on it once for Oklahoma State to be like, okay, we've seen it. That's how it looks. And we're not falling for that. So fantastic call out there because that that's, that's what I saw too. I, I love that. Yeah. And on the corners, I know, I know we've already hit on it, but I just want to kind of to go through some of their targets and reception. So Jabbar obviously had the two pass breaks up breakups, which were amazing and he played his butt off. He's a really, really good tackler as well. All the cornerbacks are. I know Christian Holmes, I think, had that one missed tackle. But outside of that, it was pretty amazing. And they've been amazing all season. But Jabbar's targeted 11 times. So there were eight receptions on him. But he had the two pass breakups. And he contested every single one. I think he's going to be a really good player. Corey Black. This kid is a true freshman. He played about 50 snaps. And they only targeted him five times. They were scared of this guy. He is really similar to Christian Holmes in that he is incredibly physical. And we hit on it earlier. These Notre Dame wide receivers, they just let go of their wide receiver coach. I think one of the reasons is they don't like physicality. They, (laughs) They don't play well against it. Maybe they're not coached well against it after seeing that guy get let go. But Corey Black 
is the guy is the guy. Well, he is my number one out of those cornerbacks. Muhammad is awesome. Obviously, Jarvis Converse, he played a ton of snaps. He played really well. And then Christian Holmes only played 12 snaps, but he looked good in the 12 he was in. But that, I mean, Notre Dame ran 88 plays, so you can't really grade Christian Holmes on this game only playing 12 snaps. But those three played phenomenal. Well, physicality is a fantastic, you know, even topic here because I expected more out of Notre Dame in this arena. I didn't, I was not blown away with their physicality on defense. Definitely wasn't on offense. A lot of what they did was dink and dunk and try to get you out of position. I thought Oklahoma State, period, was the more physical team. And even in the second half, it was almost a mismatch in that in that regard. And, and it's funny because Marcus Freeman talked about that before the game. He's like, this is a physical team. So we're going to have to be as physical as we've ever been. And if that was it, like I, I, I leave unimpressed because I thought Oklahoma State, granted, one of the most physical teams in the country, I think, just completely bullied them. Both sides of the ball. But especially like those young corners, I mean, I just keep going back to it. Like you've got you've got true sophomores out there giving experienced receivers like Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, the business, the absolute business. So, oh, yeah, it's just it's it's funny to see that. And I think you make a great point that, yeah, that might be why that receivers coach is on the way out, because really, I think Michael <laughs> Mayer and, you know, um, Kyron Williams, who who didn't play. You know, those, those guys kind of carry the, the bread for, for some of that physicality on the offense. So, yeah, I agree 100%. And, and we saw, we continued to, even without Jim Knowles, we continue to see the pressure. Cone also pressured on 21% or 21 of his drawbacks, really similar number to Sanders there. And I had the same on my count 21. We, it was mainly five, five man pressures. There were some delayed blitzes in there. I think I only saw three, three or four, six plus pressures there. But, Oklahoma State was bringing the heat, and in the second half, when Cone had to do those straight dropbacks, they just weren't able to handle it. I saw that Oklahoma State's havoc rate was 18% compared to Notre Dame's 7%, so that's Mm -hmm. tallying the total number of tackles for loss, passes defended, forced fumbles, interceptions, breakups, dividing that by total plays. So that was big time there. I, I really, in the second half, there's really not much to critique. They had that one touchdown late. Bernard Converse is there, though. He almost gets his hand on the ball. But, Cade, what I want to talk about is the Notre Dame rushing attack. Mm. What happened which, there? Which one? What, which one are where you talking was your, about? Where was your boy? <laughs> I know. Quarterback Tyler Buckner. We, we texted about this right after the game. It, it was literally, where was he? Because, and this, this is an interesting point. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. Like, they, I don't. They abandoned the run game, the designed run, handed off to the running back, by and large. I think they did it a couple of times in the second half. They, they tried to, to go back to it in the second half. And that's some, like what I'm talking about with the adjustments. Reese tried to make some, and sorry to cut you off, but no, no. they didn't work. It's yeah. not that they were bad adjustments. Oklahoma State's defense was just better than And I think they only did that to try to keep Oklahoma State honest. Frankly, take away the underneath stuff. They did that. So now it's like, okay, we're going to have to try to run the ball. And they try to use play action. We can't use play action. So we're going to have to try to run the ball at some point. But again, I don't, I don't know really what they, what they were trying. Like, I know what they were trying to do, but the end result was going to end up back in this pot of, of not really working out all that well. This game was going to tighten back up based on what Oklahoma State's defense was doing and Notre Dame really not having success 
in the areas that they could have taken advantage. And, and, and this running game is one of them. And so I don't want to steal your point on this. Tyler Buckner, nowhere to be seen. No, I, all I was going to say is I, I knew we had talked about it before, and I just wanted to read this one quote from Marcus Freeman because it's kind of an odd answer. After the game, he said, talking about Tyler Buckner, he said, he's de- he was definitely an option. You look at the way our offense was moving the ball in the first half. I don't think Coach Reese, that's Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, wanted to make that change, and he wanted to keep that thing going. As you get to the second half, they did a good job of getting some three and outs, but but obviously not until the fourth quarter did the lead change in terms of who was in the lead. I think at that point, you're just going to ride with Jack, and Jack played well, man. I don't know. I, I don't know why you don't throw Buckner in in the first half. Just because to- Notre Dame did get a couple of things going. They had that little toss play. They got a couple of perimeter runs that went for like three, four yards. So it wasn't like they were completely – utterly shut down in the first half at the very beginning so when you get it going a little bit why not throw Buckner out I get it I get it in the second half why throw him out there you're getting dominated if he gets dominated just going to crush his confidence for the future I mean he's a true freshman but just odd I just I just want to say this too if you if you missed last week's show or this name doesn't ring a bell to you for any particular reason this is Notre Dame's oh thank you backup quarterback who very heavy on the on the run? They really bring him in for a for a change of pace. And Dustin, I only say that because you know it's we're talking about it because we've been living, breathing Notre Dame for the last week and a half. So uh, wanted to throw that out there, but I I don't get it either. And and you know the only thing I do understand is they were going tempo with Cone where that was working. And it was working underneath where the run game wasn't necessarily working. So do you throw Buckner in? He brings a little more um, of a surprise element, though. So it it doesn't make sense. Talking it yeah, out loud, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and the other thing is he can throw it. He's a right, little – we right. talked about it. He gets a little risky. He's got the three interceptions on not very many attempts. But it's not like he can't throw it. That they could He could be their starting quarterback next year. So just odd. But I love the Oklahoma State. Caleb Williams could be their starting quarterback next year, sir. Yes. Very true. Um, I loved what they were doing just overall in the rush defense. I, I put a clip out on Twitter, but they're kind of moving Oliver and Martin around and doing some shifting on the defensive line just to throw Notre Dame's offensive line and their assignments all out of whack. They did that a few times. And it was it was really just it was really just fun to watch in the second half. The the defensive line just played so well. All these guys, we've talked about them. You know, Jernigan, Evers, Walter Sheed, a C, I, uh, Antoine, they're all just – Irby got in there for a few plays. It was just incredible to watch. And then when you've got Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper, they're just making incredible plays. There's oh, one it's... play where Malcolm Rodriguez basically saved a touchdown Yeah, <laughs> when the running yeah. back leaked out on that screen, made an insane tackle. Those two are just going to be missed. I, I don't you can see that one on our Twitter page, by the way. That one's <laughs> yeah. on our Twitter. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about them because I feel like we've already said it all. They're yeah, amazing, and they played amazing. That's that's where I'm landing, too. And it's just like the perfect ending to this season where, you know, what got you to this point, it's the old saying, dance with the girl that brung you. That's the girl that brought Oklahoma State to this point all season is the defense. And the way it went out was almost serendipitous, like – it was it was the redo of Baylor. Like they they got down early, big, almost, you know, there are no turnovers. So this was really primarily on the defense. But then to flip that on its head, 
you get a redo of what happened in Dallas and the defense closes the deal. Malcolm Rodriguez with that pick at the end of the game was uh, it was flashbacks to Brock Purdy throwing it to him a couple years ago in Ames. That's, that's what I got there. So, I mean, that's, that's what I've got on the defense too, man. I, uh, you know, looking at my notes, I just, uh, they're, they're Oklahoma state's run defense, Malcolm Rodriguez last hurrah. Um, we'll get to some, you know, conversation points about him a little bit later. Um, what more can you say? I, I, I got nothing. Yeah. I, I think the only point I wanted to make is cause I wanted to give you props. I, you had said Kyle Hamilton was going to be a big miss for Notre Dame. I had said that I didn't think it was huge because he hadn't played since October 23rd. Well, his replacement DJ Brown PFF has him at four missed tackles. I think I added it five. And I don't think Sanders feels near as comfortable throwing in that 10 to 25 yard range and, and even the deep shots if Hamilton's patrolling back there because he's a turnover machine. I mean, Notre Dame had a bunch of interceptions this year. So I think it was a big miss. And maybe DJ Brown played worse because I, I think I only saw, I only watched one Notre Dame game that Hamilton wasn't in. He didn't play like that in that game, but it was a much lesser opponent than Oklahoma State. So I think Hamilton was a big miss. I think you were 100% right on that, and I was wrong. because well, DJ, But probably because DJ Brown played bad. So let's give me some credit there. Yeah, I was going to say, it takes a big man to admit the first time you've been wrong on this podcast all year. So <laughs> props to you for that. Um, no, but it's funny. Like the two guys we talked about, uh, and Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton, which – rocket science where that's not anything crazy to say they're going to miss those guys but they did they absolutely missed kyron williams they absolutely missed kyle hamilton uh, just the versatility that williams brings on the offense that they could have potentially used him in the passing game oklahoma state has to respect that out of the backfield more and then what hamilton brings just that that safety roaming back there um i i think does does change the game a little bit but man spencer looked so good well, Dustin, I mean, you know, is any final thoughts on the defense before we kind of move on a little bit? I feel bad that we don't give Malcolm and Devin more props. So I am going to say these two stats I'd written down. Malcolm Rodriguez, fourth player in Oklahoma State history to eclipse 400 career tackles. And he made the 48th start of his career in that the bowl game was the 48th start of his career to tie Rodarius Williams for third on the OSU career list. So Man, that guy's just a player. We'll get to him a little bit more later. Yeah. There's a Twitter question about him, but love that guy. So, Well, before we send it to break, I, I want to kind of debrief a little bit just on this season as a whole with you. To, just real quick. I mean, your reaction to, to this season being over, I'll, I'll go ahead and go because I, I, I have some thoughts here. Um, you know, I watched, again, I watched that uh, episode on OSU Max this afternoon and Dave Hunziker had an unbelievable quote, shocker. He said, when the wins are relieving and the losses are soul crushing, that's not very healthy. And it just kind of resonated with me because that's changed for me over the years where I just look forward to Oklahoma State football, win, loss, draw, whatever. Um, this season, man, like I'm going to look back and I, it's going to put a glisten in my eye. I think the same way that 2011 year does. It ended dis with, with bitter disappointment. Don't get me wrong. Baylor, that was bitterly disappointing and it will be maybe forever. That may be the one we look back on forever. Um, but what I will say is this season uh, reignited my love for Oklahoma State football, which is undying. It's always there. But I mean, what an unbelievable year. And to, to you know, your last three games, 
knocking off OU in Stillwater, uh, a tight one, but you know, just the circumstances you're number five in the country going up against Baylor uh, in the big 12 title game. You've never been there. Neutral site game in Dallas, all eyes are on you. And then you go to Phoenix and 15 million people watch you beat Notre Dame. It's just like little old Oklahoma state, man. And it, it, uh, it gets me a little uh, romantic. So just, you know, Dustin, I mean, I, I don't mean to take us off that direction, but this season was one that will stick out among all of them for a long time. No, you, you said that so well, and I completely agree. That was, it was awesome. It was a fun season to start back doing the podcast. Oh gosh. Right. It was right. It was great to go to the games. Great to see you there. Just great to be in that atmosphere, even watching the away games on TV. It was, it was a really, really fun season. I know it was kind of roller coaster at times. It was a slow start, but overall, like you said, great season. The Baylor loss was crushing. The Bedlam win was great. The bowl game win was great. There were other great wins, some close games, just a lot of fun all around. And yeah, it was, I'm glad, I'm glad we get to talk about it. And I'm glad people listen to us and send in questions because I've had a great time. Well, before, before I cry, because I'm, 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 I'm teetering here. We're going to go ahead and hear from a word from one of our sponsors. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code feels 12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, Symbol will refund your initial deposit with no questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code FEELS12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today. All right, Dustin. Well, it was a fun year, no doubt about it. We're going to move into the offseason, though, and it starts now. I mean, the transfer portal, everybody's talking about it. It's hot, baby. I mean, I'm in it. God, <laughs> from this podcast? You're yeah, in the portal? Maybe. Oh, shoot. Who knows? We, you didn't even what's tell out me. There. I saw this. I just got your decommitment graphic on Twitter before I even heard <laughs> it from you. Damn. All right. Well, anyway, there's, there's some news to get to here. I mean, since the last time we talked, all sorts of stuff has broken loose here. I mean, I'm going to run down the list real quick, uh, so, Dustin. Kate, so yeah. just real quick before you get into that, and sorry to interrupt you, just while we we're on the pod, Jalen Warren kind of did his farewell tweet, so it's great. You should go read that. It's on his Twitter. He's at N-U-N-L-E-S-S-2, Jalen Warren. Cowboy running back, probably one of the best transfers Oklahoma State's had oh, no in doubt program about it. history. So he, no he wrote a little it. thing in his in his iPhone notes and posted some pictures with it. So definitely go check that out because obviously he deserves a pretty cool to read that for what he gave the program this year. 
you know, pretty cool line in there too. He says, I appreciate you giving me a chance to be part of the greatest culture and program in the country. My only regret is I wish I had more time with this team and community. That's a pretty good endorsement from a kid from Utah who never probably even thought he'd be playing at Oklahoma state. And I mean, I think that's our only regret too, right? We would love to have had more time with Jalen Warren and all these fun guy too. I mean, all these seniors. Yeah. And all of his interviews and stuff, he just, he was a he was a lot of fun, pretty soft spoken, but you could tell he loves football and he he's like a good guy off the field. You can a soft spoken killer in the in the same vein as Kendall Hunter. That's that's yes. kind of how I in, in picture him. You know, maybe not, the same size thighs. Oh, huge thighs on these. Guys. Maybe so. Electric runs for both of them. So no doubt about it. Well, let's get to to the worst part of this podcast. Uh, that is it until we talk about. Uh, yeah, sorry, interrupt. KU until the KU game last night. But <laughs> the transfer portal is is hot and dudes are in and out. I'm going to run down the list real quick. Jaden Jernigan uh, actually announced a commitment to Mizzou the day after the game against Notre Dame. Tanner McAllister also announced a commitment just this morning to none other than Ohio State. Uh, And real quick, Dustin, your reaction to that? Because to me, it was like, we kind of caught wind of this, right? Like this was not necessarily all that surprising, but um, a little disappointing, right? Yeah, there was some LSU smoke, obviously. Yeah, there was, I forgot that. And then there was some maybe coming back. But I wish Tanner all the best. I, I I don't truthfully understand the move to Ohio State. I think he would have been a great piece of this defense again, but you get the exposure there. I get it. But playing time wise, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure I understand, but wish Tanner all the best. And he was, he was a solid player here. Like I, like I talked about, we were talking about him earlier. So saved, saved bedlam. I mean, yeah. legit. So he had know. his ups and downs uh, in, in coverage, but always a tough dude in the run game and not afraid to come up and, you know, lay a hit on somebody. So, that one's tough. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, moving down the list a little bit, Matt Polk, uh, freshman wide receiver, true redshirt freshman, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and Monroe Mills, both neither, I believe, ever logged a, a uh, down with Oklahoma State on, on the field. Uh, both entered the transfer portal. And two familiar names, Hunter Anthony, also announced his commitment to Nebraska right after the bowl game. And Des Jackson has entered the portal uh, and is yet to declare a destination. So I'm sure there will be more. We haven't caught wind of uh, any others, but I'm sure there will be more. Yeah, I think I think you could expect, just so people can kind of set their expectations, I think you could expect a few more pretty quickly. Um, I could see a few more offensive linemen. I could see maybe some people leaving out of the cowboy back room because we've got, we've got Austin Gerrard, young guy. You've got Blaine Green who can play that spot. You know, if they go to that more four wide, 10 personnel sets more often, you don't need as many cowboy back snaps. You've got Tabry, Tabry Shetron, the younger brother of, of Talon coming in. So I think you could see obviously Carter's on, maybe a Cassidy, maybe a Quentin Stewart, maybe somebody like that. I just don't know. That's a guess there. Offensive line. I think you could see some of these guys that haven't played a lot of snaps, maybe like an Eli Russ. And I haven't heard anything on these guys. I'm just kind of naming some people that are, have been on the depth chart for a few years, but haven't really cracked it because now the super seniors count towards the 85 scholarship limit. In the past, you were given some leeway. They were able to go over. So Oklahoma state, is bringing 17 guys in. They're bringing some early enrollees in. 
they've got to get these guys in the transfer portal who haven't picked a team <laughs> to either pick a team or come back. Hundred they, percent. They've got to get more guys out the door to be able to bring these guys in. I technically don't think right now they could even bring all eleven early enrollees in and have them practice. I don't oh, know dear. that for a fact, but if I'm doing my math right, it doesn't make sense. I think they're over the eighty-five. Well, I, they won't have any problem getting guys out the door. It's a bitter truth in just college sports in general. If you need room on a roster, there will be room. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's. So, so here are some other guys considering another year from what Cade and I have heard. We've got Jark Bernard Converse, Israel Antwine, Brendan Evers, Sionia C, Colby Harvell Peel, Josh Sills, but he said he's likely moving on. And then LD Brown. Those are kind of the main ones. Brock Martin's already said he's coming back. But out of those guys we just named, I could see Antoine coming back. It sounds like Evers is coming back as well. Uh, Jaden Jernigan had a kind of interview. I think it was a St. Louis newspaper. And he mentioned that one of the reasons he left was because Evers was coming back. But he hasn't officially said that. But it sounds like he's going to. But Jernigan's definitely a blow. I could see a C coming back. And Harvell Peel, I think he actually might go. And, Kate, if you think differently on any of those, let me know. But I no, think all Evers, I know is Antoine's coming back. All I know is I want Evers back so bad, along with yes. Antoine and all those other guys. They're going to they're gonna need all the help they can get, I, I fear, at that defensive tackle spot, especially going forward. Put that in my head now. I can't stop thinking about it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful stuff there. And – if, if LD wants to move on, I would love LD to come back to have a veteran presence, you know, in the running back room. But you've got – and I think they're going to go try to get a guy from the transfer portal. Yeah. You've got Dom. You've got Jaden Nixon, who I think is going to be a stud. I know you do too. Yeah. You've got 100%. Ollie Gordon and CJ Brown coming in. You've got CJ enrolling early. You've got, you've got Zach Middleton, who we've actually seen get some snaps, and he played awesome in the spring game. So you do have some dudes there. They need they probably need a Juco guy or LD to stay. They need one of the two. So Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. We've talked about it kind of at length about what they could do in the portal. I mean, that's going to be a huge topic on our podcast this, uh, this year. And it's not one that we had when we were doing this, you know, yeah. back in the day. So it's like it changes the whole dynamic of the offseason. Who do you think, what do you think, name, name me your three main position groups that they'll probably hit in the portal. First I, I, three, probably. The one that all be needs, just the ones you think that they're going to address. The ones I think they're going to address. I, I think they're solid at linebacker, but I think they're a little bit like, I would not be surprised to see them take a, a flex player at that position. So I'll take linebacker. That's the one that jumps out to me. I'll take, I'll take interior defensive line and I'm going to take, can I do two? I'm going to do two on the offense. I'm going to do running back and I'm going to do an, uh, you know, a volume wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I think they've got, I think they've got guys in that room that can step into that role that Tay Martin's going to leave open. But who, who is that? I mean, I, I think it, I don't even know. I don't know who would do that uh, and step yeah. in and be able to take 10 catches a game as he's done, you know, a couple times this year. So I would expect a, a kind of marquee name in that wide receiver slot. So those are, I'll give you four instead of three. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. I can do four as well. I've got offensive line. So similar to you. Defensive yeah. Line. That one hundred percent. No doubt. Yeah. Similar to you. I think on the offensive line too, I think what they're going to try to do 
is get a center and maybe a tackle, but I don't think the tackle needs to be somebody that can plug in right away because they've got they've got Weber, they've got Birmingham coming back, they've got Wilson, you know, they've got they've got Etienne, they've got these guys that they could put in there. So I think a tackle maybe like not a development piece, but maybe a younger transfer, maybe that didn't work out somewhere that maybe and, was a higher right. high school recruit. Yeah, and then like and, a Godlevsky, like is yes, kind of where in you're the going. center. Yes, yes, and then I've got defensive line. And then I think if I'm going to do four, I'll go running back and then I'll go a veteran cornerback to maybe come in and just like kind it. of get in that rotation. I know we talked about the futures, right? But just a veteran guy in there, especially if Converse doesn't come back. Frankly, so. with, with the portal nowadays, I think you can look at this roster going into the next year and be like, every position group has a potential need. I mean, safety, there's a lot of young safeties, but if, if Sterling and Colby Harvell Peel are both gone, I mean, there's going to be some questions back there, right? So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. I did look, Cade. I went to our depth chart. I added on the transfers. Cade, now I'm updating this because Cade and I are going to definitely do another depth chart pod, probably three more before (laughs) next season. I think we said that in that pod. The the only big change was to safety because we had Trey Sterling, who declared for the NFL recently. I don't know if we mentioned that one yet. And then Tanner McAllister leaving really everywhere else, unless LD Brown doesn't come back, I didn't have to make any changes due to these new transfers. So, you know, I don't know what that says. More guys can probably transfer, but the guys we expected to leave, I think have left and the guys we think are going to be on that too deep. They're at least still on the team at this point. I mean, you've got guys like Bernard Converse and players like that, Antoine Evers, on our list, but right now, I, if I, basically my point was, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, I wouldn't get too upset about these yeah. guys entering the portal. Especially these are great players, but the Polk and the Monroe Mills, obviously Hurts, wide receiver and O line depth chart, but I don't think those are going to be huge guys that are missed. Des Jackson obviously did some great things here, but we already talked about the running back room. Hunter Anthony contribute a little bit of the depth, but really McAllister and Jernigan and I think the big thing with Jernigan is he wants to be a starting stand-up, sometimes hand in the ground, defensive end at Missouri. Oh, interesting. And I don't think he was playing that. I mean, he was playing a three-tech defensive tackle for Oklahoma State. So that's just some, a rumor I heard. So if that's if that's true, maybe that's part of it. So, I mean, all best of luck to him. He was a great player. He was one of my favorite to watch. But Huge storyline, right? Yeah, I, Outside of that, I think, Cade, in this kind of space, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Tulsa defensive tackle Jackson Player announced his top five, and OSU's in the mix. I mean, he's, what, a first, second-rounder NFL pick? Like, he's a he's a stud. Total stud. A certified monster. Also, seems like a psychopath, which I love <laughs> on the defensive line. Certified monster, also psychopath. Um, so, I mean, what a what a guy to have around. I mean, he had four Big 12 teams in, in his top five, right? I think it was TCU, yeah, so OSU, OU, and um, I don't know the other Arkansas. One. There we go, Arkansas. Okay, so there you go. I mean, he's, he's looking at physicality, interior defensive play. I mean, Oklahoma State's going to have a hole, no doubt about it, and would fit really, really well. I think OSU's in the mix. I, I know, I know, Arkansas. Oh, I think was man. the front runner. Apparently, he told some teammates after 
after the season that he was probably going to go to Arkansas. I know OU's involved now. He's from Waco, so Baylor's obviously in the mix. But I think Oklahoma State's going to make a play. Arkansas would be so boring. Still, I mean, not as you know, I would actually. Arkansas would be a fun school to go to, but that would that would yeah, be a, a disappointing destination. I, I would like to see him go to Baylor or Oklahoma State. And I think Oklahoma State has a really compelling pitch. It's like, hey, man, you're going to slot in right there, and you're going to be the guy right over the ball, and we're going to make you a freak athlete. We're going to turn you into a, a first-round NFL draft. And I just want to throw out that potential starting defensive line for you next year. Uh, I mean, you could do a Trace Ford slash Brock Martin on one side. You can go Israel Antoine slash Brennan Evers. You can go Jackson Player, and then you can go Colin Oliver. Are you kidding me? How, <laughs> there's your recruiting pitch right there. Let's go win the Big 12. Speaking of Colin Oliver, Cade, and some of these def- – now that Tanner McAllister has gone with Jim Knowles to Ohio State. Don't say it. Are you worried about anybody else leaving? Am I? I'm personally not. I am not worried either. Um, it would be Oliver, I think, I mean, that he would try to take. Can you think of anyone else? Oh, I mean, unless Ohio State throws an NIL deal, that which a crazy factor that you have to consider nowadays. It's not just about the roster on the field or the, you know, the opportunity. There's NIL at stake, too, and transfers can get that, too. So I worry a little bit about what an Ohio State could offer, much like they offered Jim Knowles for a Colin Oliver, but – I'm not really concerned about it. Um, we're just entering into a new, a new world in college football. So I would be surprised to see another one follow Jim Knowles to Ohio State. I mean, what, what do they ever want? Who, who wants to go play there? Yeah, I think Oliver stays. You got the Santa Fe pipeline. He's close to home. Got guys like Bundage and Ford. He's Seems like after. he's happy, right? Yeah, he's getting the Heisman. He's getting the next year Heisman projected odds. I think he's going to stay. I, and, Kate, I think the last, unless you had anything else, I think the last football note I had was offensive line recruiting analyst Zach Crabtree for Oklahoma State. Josh Henson. Oh, I saw, saw this, yeah. Plucked him with him going. Josh Henson's at USC now. He plucked Zach. So, Oklahoma State's going to have to fill that spot. I, I know Zach was a big player in the offensive line recruiting. So, he'll be missed. He's a former Oklahoma state player. It's always awesome to have those guys back. So Oklahoma state's going to be looking for some new offensive line assistant coaches there. So we'll see what they do there. Well, it'll be interesting. And again, this transfer portal is going to be something to keep an eye on. And I'm sure next week we'll have, have news to talk about as well. But I mean, Dustin, the topic neither of us want to talk about, uh, but we'll talk about, and we'll talk about all, all season is, is basketball. Um, what an, a weird but yet totally predictable game that took place last night uh, in Gallagher Iba against KU. I mean, you get down 29 to 14, you come all the way back to 29 29 at halftime, you get down 15, then you make a run at the end, and then you lose by what 10, 11? I can't even remember the final score, but just a 11. strange, strange game. And um, I, I, I want to ask you, what in your mind is and I think we've kind of talked about this. To me, it feels like the same old song and dance this entire season. Seems like they're executing well in the half court and you can't make shots. The ball also sticks at times. I thought last night the ball got really sticky up near the top of the of the key. And especially when they were going around the perimeter, I didn't think the ball moved very well. KU's fantastic. You give them a lot of credit. But I 
just really got a little bit discouraged from what I saw on the perimeter last night, inability to knock down pretty good looks uh, consistently. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that game? No, I think that's a great point. I think when you said that about the sticky, I think there's one extra pass they need to make almost every time in the half court. It's like the ball gets stuck. Then and, they then pass, it, and then someone takes a contested shot and you watch Kansas moving the ball around and Oklahoma state still had 10 assists last night. It's not a terrible number, but it's, it just looks clunky when they're well, in the half court, but when they get things going in the fast break and they're able to use their, turn their defense into offense, they're unstoppable. They're so and good. Their defense isn't terrible, but the half court offense is just tough. But Cade, I think four of 17 from three, 24%. We talk about it every podcast, but you got to make shots. You, you have to make shots. And against KU, who they have shooters all over the floor, they were able to weather a 0 for 20 stretch in that game. They didn't score for nine minutes of the game. And one by 20 points. straight shots, 20 straight shots and shot 40% basically from three and 43% from the field. So that stretch, like they were probably going to shoot what 60% from the field. If they just shoot <laughs> average, because in the second half, they just went bonkers. I mean, Ochai Abaji, um, Remy, uh, Remy Martin, I mean, th- those guys are unbelievable. And Christian Brown has turned into a, a fantastic Big 12 basketball players. So, I mean, KU is a really good team, but unfortunately, like the top half of the Big 12 is like as good as them. So this is going to be an yeah. interesting and- year. And I, I, what I saw last night, you know, I, there were flashes for sure. Keelan played great. Um, you hope he can continue to shoot that way, but just not enough consistency in shooting the ball. Like, it feels like that's the the storyline. It, it really is. And Coach Boynton went with his fifth different starting lineup of the season. He had Ice. We talked about starting lineups last time, so I wanted to bring that up. He had Ice, Avery, Bryce, Matthew, Alexander Moncrief, and Caleb Boone was that starting lineup. And just not enough production. Anderson, 20 minutes, only five points. Moncrief, only three points. Caleb Boone, only two in nine minutes. It's just, it's just not enough. Ice was really aggressive. He just – he's got 16 points. He's got 12 rebounds. Comes out there with a the double-double. Plays his butt off. Plays great on the defensive end. But, Cade, I think he's one of the reasons the half-court offense is so clunky. Sorry. Just, I, it's four on five. It's four on five with him. And it's not even like – I don't say that like to be a jerk about it, but he, he can't shoot the ball outside of, outside of eight feet. He and they takes, have no reason to respect it. He takes really bad shots, and I think it's because he gets in his head when these guys are sagging off him that much, and I would get in my head too. He ends up taking these kind of weird long twos. Yeah, and, trying to bank them, and it just clangs clangs yeah, it, off the backboard. Like It's it's just really odd. And if, if Bryce Williams doesn't go off like he has been, you see what happens to the Oklahoma State offense. It's just, it's just tough. I did think Cissé, even though – you know, McCormick at Kansas was able to score some points in the paint. I did think CSA looked pretty good. Eight points, eight rebounds. He had four blocks. Good on the glass. Really good I think, on the glass. Yeah, I think PFB's Marshall Scott pointed out they were plus seven with CSA on the floor. He's he's a solid player. I'm, get, I'm glad he's back. They missed him. You know, he had the death in the family. So maybe that'll help him out. But you come off this 17-day break, and they looked like a team who was on a 17-day break. <laughs> 
One thing I will say, you know, we're, we're kind of going a, li- a little hard. I, I think they, you know, and a lot of it is, is warranted criticism. They just can't make shots. And, and frankly, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I think they have better shooters on the floor, but they just don't make them. But what I will say is the team plays so hard. They play really hard for oh, a yeah. team that is seven and five, has lost to Oakland, and has no – uh, you know, postseason aspirations. So you have to give a lot of credit and, and coming off a 17 day COVID pause where it sounds like most of the team either had it or was directly exposed and nobody's getting any shots up in the gym. So um, I will stand on a mountain and say that that team plays hard for the coach that they have for the guys in that locker room. And you just, at some point it's going to turn around, you know, I got asked last night on, on PFB on, on their forum, you know, what I see their, you know, record ending up as. And, you know, if you would ask me before the season, I was, I would have said 12 and six felt good just based on the roster and what we had seen so far. I'm about ready to flip it the other way and say, I think it's six and 12, but it would not shock me to see Oklahoma state figure some things out. Shots start falling. I mean, Rondell, Shoot, I think he has had one field goal in the last four games. I mean, that's that can't happen. That can't happen. So there's going to be a moment in the in the season where shots start falling. I just hope it doesn't come eight games into conference play. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think they're going to fall too. They're they're literally one of the worst three point shooting teams in college basketball right now. They're ranked like three hundred and thirty second. I, I didn't even know there were – I thought <laughs> – I didn't even know there were that many teams in college basketball. Yeah, that's, that's what Palm has them at, has them at right now. It's just absurd. They also – Ken Palm also has the Big 12 record at 6-12, and 12, so that's funny. Ooh, but, I don't even yeah, look at Ken Palm think, anymore these days. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I think the shooting turns around a little bit. I don't know how good of a shooting team this team is, but I don't think they're this bad. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think things turn around a little bit. I think they win some games. I'm going to try to stay positive. We're going to stay positive. Even if they keep losing them, we're going to talk about it. So. Heck yeah, we're going to talk about it. I, I love Oklahoma State basketball. Always have. Frankly, it was my first love. So um, we're And we're usually not even this brief. I remember back in the day, we were going nuts on some basketball uh, recaps. So it will. It <laughs> oh, will we will. We will. <laughs> we absolutely will, especially if we do one in the car on the way back from Gallagher one of these days. But anyway. It doesn't get any easier for Oklahoma State, obviously, at home against Texas and then on the road next week against West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Baylor in, like, I think three games in six days. So, five days. <laughs> That'll be an awful lot of fun, and uh, hopefully they get a win that they shouldn't be expecting out of that. Um, we've gone plenty long at this point. Uh, we've got a couple of Twitter questions. And we thank you for sending those in 100%. We don't have any voice questions, which I won't hold that against you. We've got time to get those in for next week. We're going to hang on to these Twitter questions. We're going to hold those for next week. Uh, so that way, especially as we get into this offseason, we got some things we could talk about. So thank you yeah, for the content for next, next week's week. pod will be pretty light. Yeah. I think. How, many, how many basketball games before we well, record again? There will be Texas two and Texas Tech. Yeah, okay, there will so, be two games. Yeah, so shout out to – I know we've got at Reading Rider, Brian J. Metcalf. We got uh, Oakley Burklow, Neil Crone, David Wetchel, our guy David Wetchel, and then uh, DJ at OK State Revolution. We're going to save – I've got all these written down in my notes, and we will hit all these next time, and we'll add some more questions because I 
doubt we go super long on two basketball games. I, I wouldn't I think so. Will, so. I, yeah, I bet we do. I bet we do. <laughs> well, Dustin, I mean, this was a blast. What a what a great way to cap off uh, maybe the the best season in Oklahoma State history, one of them. So, uh, man, it was just just a pleasure to get the band back together and and do this with you all football season. And uh, I'm already ready for next year. Oh yeah, me too. And uh, I'm pumped for basketball and love, yeah, love getting on here. Love doing it. Love people listening and sending questions. So appreciate it. All right, brother, be safe. Have a great week. Uh, if you don't already follow us, you can follow me on Twitter at Cade Webb, follow Dustin at Dust Ragu. Most importantly, follow the pod at feels like 45 pod and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy. And if you don't DM us and let us know what the heck you're doing wrong and what we can change. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Go Pokes.